Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. And then run with patience the race that's set before us. You see, when you and I come to Christ, we sing the songs, Jesus paid it all, and absolutely he did. We're we're saved by the sacrifice of Christ. But beloved, our daily walk is still there. And it's the process of our daily walk that we are responsible for. Oh, we could say, oh Lord, take that away from me. I don't want to deal with that anymore in my life. And through the powering work of the Holy Spirit, He will enable us, He will strengthen us, but we still need to make that decision to lay it down, to lay it aside. What sins are hindering your daily walk with God? In today's message from Pastor David, he encourages us to examine what hinders our walk with God. Yes, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. However, we still have to walk out our faith and obedience. As Christians, it's our responsibility to rid ourselves of anything that could cause us to stumble. The Holy Spirit will help strengthen and enable us, but it's still our responsibility to set aside what so easily entangles us and to turn to obedience in Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Called for Honorable Use. Well, most of you, if you've done the math, you understand that I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. That's 19-0-50 and 19-0-60, okay? That was actually the golden years. It was the golden years of Tupperware, okay? Tupperware was brought into existence in 1948 by a man by the name of Tupper, thus the name Tupperware. You know Tupperware. Remember, they came out with this plastic bowl with the burping lid, and that was their big deal. And you could put food items in Tupperware, and oh, it would be, it would be great and fresh and safe for days and days. But there was also, along with those bowls that saved your, your stew for a few more days, there was also Tupperware salt and pepper shakers. There was Tupperware tumblers. There were Tupperware canisters to store everything from flour and sugar to beans and coffee to all the children's little toys. There were Tupperware measuring cups and, and measuring spoons. There were cute little sandwich boxes that were just the right size for your PB&J to fit in there that you could take to school and have a, the freshest sandwich in your school at that point in time. There was also Tupperware drink pitchers and cake carriers. There were cereal bowls and toddler toys. Why, Tupperware had it all. And I do believe that my mother had every one of all of it. There were cabinets in our house that had nothing but Tupperware. However, whenever special guests were to come to our house, whenever someone of any kind of honor or status were to come to our house, which was rare, but on occasion they would be there, 
We never saw the Tupperware. <laughs> you would have thought that all we ate out of was polished silver and fine china. Most of our neighbors and even many of our close friends never knew we had silver or fine china. They knew we had Tupperware. I mean, after all, Tupperware and paper plates, that was plenty fine for all the neighbors that you've known for years and for, yeah, Uncle Larry Dupree, the raging Cajun, who wasn't really an uncle, but that's a story for another time. Mom saved those pieces of, of silver and china for those special times, for those times of honor. Now, we're going to be speaking of vessels today. Paul writes about vessels, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I invite you to turn there with me if you would. Paul had earlier warned Timothy about false teachers, about these false doctrines that were coming in and how they were impacting the, the believers and the church of that day as a whole and lifestyles of honor versus lifestyles of dishonor. He shared with him again the, the very practical, the very understandable realities and truths and he used illustrations. Uh, he used illustrations throughout his teaching. A little bit earlier, we looked at how he used the illustrations or the analogies of soldiers and of athletes and of farmers, all, all familiar in that day and time of Timothy. And now he moves from those illustrations to now illustrations within the home, speaking of vessels for honor and vessels of dishonor. Look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 20. In verse 20 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Anyone familiar with a, with a great house would have understood completely what the apostle was saying there. These vessels of gold and, and silver, they'd be placed, they'd be stored in, in a place of honor. Now, my mom actually did. She had a, a china cabinet, and she actually did display her silver and her china, like probably many women of, of her day did, and it was always there because, again, it was a place of honor. The Tupperware was stashed under underneath the cabinets. It wasn't placed out to, in any way or semblance of honor to it. The word that Paul uses here for honor is, is the Greek word teme. And Tame has this meaning of, of, of high value, of, of considered precious, esteemed to the highest degree. As far as the vessels of dishonor that he speaks of here, those that would be used for common or, or basic or very base usage, Paul used a different Greek word, atemia. And atemia has a meaning of indignity, it has a meaning of shame disgrace, and even vileness. So when you're speaking of vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor, you see the vast difference between the two. He speaks of the vessels of common usage or for dishonor, and you've got to understand, folks, he, he's not talking Tupperware here. No, actually, personally, I believe it goes more along the line of what you and I know to be a bedpan, or a chamber pot. They actually had those 
600 years before Christ in the Greek culture. And if you were fine, if you were a big house, you definitely had these chamber pots. And the very wordage and how Paul uses this in the context of what he says, that's what I personally believe that he's speaking here. I believe that that's the statement within the context of what he's saying that he's making for us to understand these vessels of honor as compared to a chamber pot. Now, Paul explains to Timothy that it's the task, it's the job, it's the responsibility of the believer, of the believer themselves, to personally cleanse and to remove the things within our lives that dishonor the Lord. Those things that, uh, again, would, would cloud over the ability of our lives to be used fully and completely for the Lord's honor in order that we might be useful to the master prepared for every good work. This is, in addition, you need to understand, this, this isn't speaking about our salvation to where our, our lives are clean, our, our sin is cleaned by the blood of the lamb that we shared at this table. No, this, this goes beyond this. This is the actual practical day by day, our daily walk, our sanctification, if you will, that he speaks of here. It's a determined, it's an intentional choice to stop, to, to change, or to remove those things that are in our lives that defile us or limit us from being used completely as a vessel of honor. It's the same understanding that we have from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews declares, considering we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witness, let us now lay aside every weight and every sin so easily besets us. He's saying for you and I, since we are encompassed about by that great cloud of witnesses, those believers, those saints that have gone before us, knowing what they have done, now it's our responsibility, yours and mine, to lay aside that weight and that sin that so easily ensnares us or or tangles us up and then run with patience the race that's set before us. You see, when you and I come to Christ, we sing the songs, Jesus paid it all, and absolutely he did. We're, we're saved by the sacrifice of Christ. But beloved, our daily walk is still there. And it's the process of our daily walk that we are responsible for. Oh, we could say, oh Lord, take that away from me. I don't want to deal with that anymore in my life. And through the powering work of the Holy Spirit, He will enable us, he will strengthen us, but we still need to make that decision to lay it down, to lay it aside, to walk away from it. And we're gonna look at that more as we get into the verses here. The responsibility to lay aside every weight, the responsibility to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us, the responsibility of the one who cleanses himself from the latter. Beloved, that's our responsibility. I remember as a young man having it out with God one night. And, you know, I think, well, Lord, if you don't want this in my life, then take it away. Take it away. Well, he burdened my heart for it. I understood that. But, beloved, God, by and large, doesn't just suddenly wave his hand over you and, and take away all the desires and all the distractions and all the temptations of the enemy. No, those are choices that we make to be faithful to the one that called us. Those are choices that we make day by day, literally, sometimes moment by moment, that we choose 
to walk in obedience. We choose to walk in holiness and in righteousness. It's our responsibility to lay those things aside, to cleanse ourselves from the things of dishonor, those things of indignity, of shame, of disgrace, and of vileness. It's the same concept, actually, that we read in the book of James. James tells us in James 1, speaking to you and I as believers, therefore lay aside all filthiness and that overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness that implanted word which is able to save your souls. You need to understand James isn't speaking here about a salvation act that we do in order to be saved. No, he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the saints that are scattered all over that area. And he's writing to you and I. We could read this letter from James to the church of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande in 2017, and he says to us, we need to lay aside all filthiness. We need to lay aside that overflow of wickedness. Now, why would he write that? Why would he say those things? Unless the fact is, is it's a reality of the lives of those believers of that day, that that filthiness was still in their lives, that overflow of wickedness was still there. They were still battling it, just as we are today. Amen? Okay, I'm just checking to see how big my boat is, okay? <laughs> We, we still battle with those things, and yet we are responsible to lay aside these things. We have that responsibility. If we claim Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, you are my Lord, that means that I'm obedient to you, that I'm faithful to you. That means that I want to live my life to bring you glory and honor. Therefore, since I call him Lord, I now have that responsibility to make those choices in my life that bring glory and honor to him. Since Christ has already redeemed us with his precious blood, since he's already called us to himself, since he's already determined for us a a plan and a purpose within his kingdom, now we as his children, we as the redeemed of heaven, we have the obligation to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. As we're called, as Paul tells us back here in Timothy, to cleanse. That whole idea of to, to cleanse, to purge, to separate ourselves from these things. We also need to understand that this cleansing isn't simply an outward religious act like, like the Jews of that day had and like many religious people, even within the church today have. That, oh, on the outside, we look good. We, we come Sunday and we're all dressed up and we say uh, all the right words because we've got Christianese down. Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God, yes. Uh, we've got the language down. And we look on the outside to each other as if everything is right. But what's true on the inside? What is real on the inside? You see, the Jews had these these rituals that they went through, and because they went through the ceremony, they truly believed that as going through the ceremony, that that's what was pleasing to God. And that's why the prophets continually, continually, continually told them, no, 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 it's not the ritual. It's not the sacrifice. It's the broken, it's the contrite heart. It's the heart of obedience that God is looking for. See, the fullness and the purpose of our lives being sacrificed to God. 
and in, he renews our heart. He, he strengthens us as we continually within our own lives through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I, I know that, I understand that. The Holy Spirit has to be that that draws us to him. Without the Holy Spirit, number one, we're none of his, but it's the Holy Spirit that draws us into obedience. But through him, we are continually drawn to determine within our own lives to remove from our lives those things or those actions or, the, or those attitudes that war against the will of God, that bring dishonor to his kingdom. Why? Because we want to be found useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul goes on with that with some real practical application for this whole idea of cleansing and purging. Still in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 22 and 23 with me if you would. Paul says, you and I, we, we need to flee also youthful lusts. One of the things I know, youthful lusts don't leave you once you leave your youth. You kind of carry those with you your entire life. He says, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I love this. There are three actions that, that we're called to do. To flee, to pursue, and to avoid. To flee, pursue, and to avoid. It's a lifelong task, guys. It, it, it's nothing that at one point in time we determine, okay, this is what I'm going to do in my life, and then just figure that that's, that's the way it's going to be forever. I'm reminded of the story of a husband and wife who had been married for years and years, and they came to the pastor for marriage counseling, and the pastor asked them, well, what seems to be the problem? Well, he, he never says, I love you. The husband looked at her and said, well, what do you mean I don't say I love you? Of course I do. You never say you love me. And he says, I beg to differ. Remember, 35 years ago, there on the platform of that little church out in the country, just before we said our vows, I turned and I looked at you and I said, I love you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. Our commitment to God is an ongoing and persistent and intentional life. It's got to be intentional. We wake up in the morning, we've got to be intentional with our walk in Christ. Beloved, because if you and I are not intentional in our walk with Christ, I want to let you know, Satan is intentional in having you to stumble in that walk. So we better be on game. Similar to the directive here that Paul gave Timothy, actually, over in 1 Timothy, we went through that, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he he wrote to Timothy, he says, but you, O man of God, you need to flee these things. And these things that he spoke about were things earlier in that sixth chapter where he spoke about disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions and useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. He says you need to flee all those things and you need to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. 
told him also in that sixth chapter of First Timothy, he says, you need to fight the good fight of faith. You need to lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There he uses these terms, flee and pursue and to fight and to lay hold on. Now back here in 2 Timothy chapter two, he uses the words to flee and to pursue and to avoid. Do you, do you catch? Every one of these are action words. All of them are action words, not passive. You as a believer, if you're going to live your lives to the glory and to the honor to please God in your life, you have to be actively involved in that process. It does not just happen automatically. As a matter of fact, let's, let's face it, folks. Our, our natural state is quick to come back if we don't combat against it. We are quick to simply slide back. It's like, man, my garden, if I don't take care of it it, 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 it goes back to wilderness really quick. It's a process that has to continually be going. All of these action words, all of these are required for the believer in that journey called sanctification in our lives. All that required in our lives to be useful for the Lord and for his kingdom's work. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's go on, look at verse 24. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perchance, will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, and that they may escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. He says, a servant of the Lord. You, you, you call yourself as, as a believer. We, we are called to be servants of the Lord. And he says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. It's absolutely amazing to me when I come to a Christian brother and, and it just seems like, man, they've got a chip on their shoulder. They want to argue. They want to fight about anything and everything. And the littlest of things, it doesn't matter. I'll fight against that as much as I would a big thing. They're just, again, that whole attitude of, of, of conflict and of quarreling, rather than being gentle to all. We, again, as a servant of the Lord, we're to be gentle to all. He says, and, and able to teach. Well, that's not just getting up in front of a group of people and, and expounding upon the Word of God, although, man, that's great opportunity when you have it, but that's also able to share the reality of what your life and what your walk in Christ is with someone else. And that might be the neighbor that, uh, you know, sharing a cup of coffee. That might be someone that you work with uh, across the desk at, at the break room. That might be, again, a friend or a family member, and it might be be a stranger that you've just met this afternoon. Are you able to give reason for the hope that's within you? Maybe I need to back up and say, is there a hope that's within you? Because you see, that hope has to be there before we can ever give reason for that hope. Able to teach, and, and, and I know just in my own experience, but also just in the full experience of life, if you are able to teach, you better be teachable. So I think it goes both ways. It's got to be both ways. Open our hearts, changes from within by the open word. 
Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David has been taking us through the book of 2 Timothy, sharing the Apostle Paul's insights and wise words for us to learn from. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching, you can do so by simply visiting theopenword.com. Click on the Teachings tab to access these messages and be sure to subscribe to our podcast to never miss an update. At our website, you can also find out more about Pastor David and the ministry of The Open Word. We love that we get to share Pastor David's teachings with you here on The Open Word. And we'd like to ask you to be a part of what we're doing here. To tell you more, here's Pastor David. You know, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our listening audience. That's all we have time for today, but join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Timothy, right here on The Open Word.